VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Blake. I'm Jason. And I'm still not Jason. Hey, it's Mike, again on the podcast. First time ever, three people on VCR. We're doing our first threesome. I mean, uh, (laughs) three-way discussion. Yes. About three movies each. Yes, the movie draft, the great movie draft of 2022, talking old movies with old friends I'm so excited to do this. This has been on the docket for about a month and a half now. We picked our genre or our categories about a month. We'll talk about those in a sec. And since then, we've been kind of selecting those three movies each. I have literally no idea what either of you have done. I'm not going to lie. The last month and a half, I apologize that anybody that's had to listen to me talk about movies because you two are the two that I like talking about movies with the most. And everybody else has had to listen to my ideas about these three movies, and it's been killing me not being able to talk about these. I've had to talk Jess out of leaving you several times. (laughs) Several different times. I don't believe it. Or I do believe it, sorry. (laughs) Cocky. First, we should probably talk briefly what each one of us got. So I have directors. I have genre. And I got the wild card. Yeah, the exciting one. We'll see what you did. So... That's all we know about the movies we picked. We don't know any more than that. We just had to fit into the theme of that. I think pre-podcast here, each of us have been kind of thinking, making guesses as to where we ended up with these three. So I think we can probably guess right now what each of us picked. And then once we've announced what that is, I think we'll make take a stab at the three movies that each of us picked. I want to guess that Mike did something to do with like book turned into a movie. That's a really good Ooh, guess. Ooh, that is that a is good a guess. That is a really good guess. All right. My guess for you for the wild card is anti-hero movies. Wow. Ooh. Yeah. I, I just Not wanna, a genre. I but. just want to... Cards on the table, those are two, both two significantly better choices <laughs> than what I ended up going with. <laughs> All right. Jason's, I who has genre, I'm really stuck between two because i think you could have gone either way on these knowing what movies that you generally like i think you might have gone either ancient action movie or crime thriller and i'm not Mm. i'm not 100 percent sure on that you were trickier than mike was to guess what what do you mean by ancient action like historical like lawrence of arabia kind of style Mm, or maybe a little bit more into like the ancient or fantasy kind of genre like waiting into like conan kind of deal like yeah um, yeah. like antiquity yeah Yeah. exactly exactly all right Uh, you guys got guesses guesses. for me for director so your category is genre and you made a you let a director 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 director. you made a comment that it might surprise you what you went with yes so my guess would have been probably something like John Carpenter. Yeah. Or something like that. Would that would have been a good guess. Maybe even um, Ridley Scott. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. might surprise you. I want to say almost like Wes Anderson or like Paul Thomas Anderson. Interesting. That's the tough part because I think we've gone through quite a few directors and we're always talking about like each episode we talk about the director yeah. and you're like oh i have so many movies that i want to see from this person yeah, yeah. so i i don't even have a guess like, honestly totally you're probably better to have not had a guess at which director i picked because it is a not a director i've seen one of their movies previously it's mel gibson <laughs> yeah <laughs> we were talking about mel gibson previously but not mel all right so we've made our guesses jason drafted first then me then mike Let's so we can that. either do same order or we do reverse i think I would do same. All right. So, so, so you did guess 
fairly close to correct. I went with crime. Yes! Mm, I knew it! Genre. I knew it! Yeah, so there were so many movies to choose from, and like that type of movie, it all it sort of fits with one of my choices. But I did go like I wanted to do um, something close to like the progression of this genre. Oh, okay, cool. Um, it's hard to do with only three movies. Oh yeah, uh, and like there's so many great decades to choose from that and that's kind of how i separated them mm-hmm. um mm. because like i picked three movies that i wanted to do and they were all in the 70s i was like i gotta split this <laughs> up um you know just what? like i encountered not to interrupt you i encountered kind of a similar problem with my yeah, yeah very yeah. interesting very interesting uh, hearing mm. that i was kind of similarish in decade as well i mean director you're going to have that sure um with yeah. an asterisk on that maybe with some directors like steven spielberg obviously having a long career yeah but a lot of directors, it's almost like uh, like musicians as well, you know? Like, you have your chunk of time where you're very creative, and then mm-hmm. after that, maybe you lose that creative spark. Yeah, I wanted to go crime. It's one of the best and, like, the longest-lived kind of genres. Yeah. Um, yes. There were so many ways I could have went. And, like, just to speak to the other genres, like, I really wanted to do a time travel genre. Cool. Mm. Or And, like, that was a little... It's a little specific and mm. less... I think um like a subgenre basically. Yeah, yeah. And it's less uh like spread out over time, I think, <laughs> where the, like the the have to watch movies are or right. like the ones that make made the um genre. Yeah. So I I really wanted to go that way, but I ran out of time picking and everything. But um yeah, so there's so many classics in crime like Goodfellas. Oh, yeah. uh, absolutely. The Godfather, mm-hmm. like all of the gangster movies. So yeah. I actually didn't go gangster because of that. Oh, oh, interesting. I was starting to write down my guesses as to your three movies and The Godfather and Goodfellas. I literally just wrote down before you said <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, so like part of this podcast is like trying to get people to see new movies that they haven't yes. seen, new old movies. But like the, all of those we've kind of discussed, like yeah. we relate thief. to them. Yeah, mm-hmm. Thief especially. Um, like everybody is, has been recommended to watch Goodfellas and like Godfather. Oh, easily. Like, I myself personally have probably watched Goodfellas with half a dozen people and talked about it with like countless others about yeah. how great of a movie it is. I mean, even yeah. if, you, if you haven't seen either of those, they've been parodied so many times. Yeah, that yeah. You've yeah almost exactly. just picked it up through osmosis. It's like it, that's like our whole Jaws thing. Like we didn't watch it because we had like our generation had heard and seen all of the parodies. Of right. Them. Yeah. But then right. we watch it and we're like, damn, that was good. Mm. So, anyways, I went in sort of a different direction, and I picked some awesome directors that, Mm -hmm. um, two are huge, the other one not so Mm well-known. I'm not sure how much else to go into this before anyone guesses. That's probably a good amount at this point. So, we'll move into me next. So, I had directors, and... Honestly, I don't know if I was quite excited about this one to go because I thought it was almost too easy. Like, obviously, the minute I picked that, I was like, Quentin Tarantino, John Carpenter, Stanley mm. Kubrick. That's that's my Mount Rushmore of directors. Yeah. Mm. Um, you need one more. Probably like Steven Spielberg or something okay. at that okay. point. There we go. So I, I was like, oh, th- like those are my fallback options. Um, you guys know me. Like I'm, I'm probably like borderline a little neurotic. Like when I do something, I want to do it as best as I can. I mm. put the research in, and I like 
I, I do a lot of work in this stuff. Sometimes so like, to your detriment. I, uh, absolutely. <laughs> like I have a spreadsheet here of directors. And so I started with 24 directors that I thought after reading like lists and lists and lists of best directors of all time, directors that I'd be really interested in. I looked at movies that I'd be really interested in and then like backtracked into directors like that. From there, I narrowed it down to six. But as always, like some of my fallbacks here, one thing that I thought of was doing Quentin Tarantino but only doing one of his movies and two of his inspiration uh, films. Uh, but okay. I thought that was too close to Wildcard, so I didn't mm, yeah. go with that. The next one that I went w- or thought about doing was maybe some exploitation films, and that's why I've kind of been talking about those mm. with you guys lately. You have, um, you have. And so I did watch a few to test the waters because they're they're really interesting movies. I love them as a concept. I love the fact that they were made in the period of time that they were I made I almost in. watched one for crime. Nice, that's <laughs> awesome. I felt like it was too close to genre, and that's where like I didn't want to tread into your side of things as well. So so I spent all this time looking at directors, and there was one name in all of these director lists that I kept kind of stumbling upon, and he had one movie that I was like, I know exactly that movie. I saw it when I was 16. I saw it at school, actually, for the first time. Hmm. Blew me away. It was a black and white movie. And so he it was surprising because he wasn't familiar to me, but he seemed to end up on a lot of top director mm. lists. Can I ask a question? Yes. Is it a foreign director? No. Okay, so he's American. Yes. Okay. Um, I'm even going to tell you what his most famous movie is because I don't even think you're going to know his name based on I that. just Googled just to see because I'm trying to remember movies we watched in high school. To yep. Kill a Mockingbird. Mm. Ooh, did, uh, did I guess shit. right? No. no. 12 Angry okay. Men. So that was... There it is. Ah. I was going to ask you to. Have either of you seen 12 Angry Men? That was on my list for potential for crime, but because, awesome. it, because it was a uh, courtroom drama, yes. it was too much um, mm-hmm. out of crime. Like, it wasn't about the crime. It was, but yeah, I almost went with that. That's Henry Fonda's big starring role. Yes, right? yeah. exactly. Wait, let me see if I can guess the director. Okay, I, while you're thinking about that for a sec, like, I do want to say 12 Angry Men It's this was this director's first feature film ever made it's one of i think it's top four greatest films of all it time is, yeah. i saw it when i was 16 years old in law class blew my mind it was probably the first full black and white film i'd ever seen and it was phenomenal like mm. I, that's the most distinct memory of that class that i have from like 15 years ago yeah. almost now yeah. can either of you name the director <sighs> this is gonna be wrong but i almost want to say like john ford no okay all Who right the name of the director is Sidney lumet have, never heard of him. No, I never love heard it. Of him. I love this. Oh wow! <laughs> I'm so excited about this. One of the most prolific directors of the second half of the 20th century okay. made nearly a movie a year for 50 years. He has a filmography in 50 years of about I think it's 49 movies. Say that name again. Sidney Lumet. Wow. Okay. No, never heard of the. Nominated book. countless times for Academy Awards. Never won one as best director, but did win some best screenplay, some other stuff like that. Uh, all of these films actually nominated or won an Academy Award at some point. Hmm. And known as the actor's director, a lot of prominent actors had roles, starring roles in his film, and he was there. A lot of them actually stated that he was their favorite, or they were their favorite director to work with he would take the approach of like you know what like you have this idea your character's motivation is this or that or like something like that and he would mm. run with it and they would work together on stuff like so that So he wasn't like a kubrick no and so he was known for elevating actors performances and getting the best out of the best of the best actors wow. okay, and so that's that's, that's where i went with this I, I was really excited reading all about this because i'm like this is like 
That's the, and the these perfect are, one. It's yeah. perfect. I you nailed it. it. I think yeah, I already won the draft, it. but... <laughs> you may just have won the draft. But we'll see. We'll see. I've got some really great movies I'm really excited to talk about. I can almost guarantee that neither of you have heard of any one of them. Awesome. But let's move into Wildcard right now, Mike. So you guys invited me on the podcast a few weeks ago. We drew straws or something, and I got Wildcard, which is the category you really wanted. I was really excited about it, yeah. So I wasn't really sure what to do at first. At first, I wanted to do movies about making movies. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started looking in date and a half. But then you were like, hey, you need to pick a movie for next week. And I went, <laughs> fuck. So I'm like, eight and a half, let's do that. So I was thinking about what to do and I didn't have an idea for a long time, but something kind of came to me. So my category that I decided on is end of the world movies. Nice. Ooh. But there's caveat. My caveat is they all had to be from a different decade cool they all had to have wildly different tones Mm -hmm. and they all had to be from a different country oh yeah i like it so that's gonna be hard to guess your movies i think then there's i can guarantee you may have heard of one of them i no you've probably heard of maybe two of them one i guarantee neither of you have heard of okay so all right so before we start off talking about our movies then, I want to take a couple stabs at what you guys are thinking then. Okay. My guess to what movie you picked for Apocalypse movie would be um, Stanley Kubrick's Doctor Strange Love or How I Stopped... Uh... How I Stopped Worrying and Learned to Love the Bomb. Yeah, that's yeah. my guess for you as, as your Americanized one. They are, I will say, if this helps, they are adjacent decades. So they're okay. all from a 30-year period. I won't okay. say what 30-year period. But I, think, all... I think it's pretty obvious based on something you mentioned earlier was the um 2011 that's oh, right 2012 is one mm. oh that came out in 2010 though oh yeah, yeah. interesting so um, i remember i was <laughs> i was there <laughs> I, I watched me and kelvin watched that in theaters so we have the uh, the 80s no 90s 2000s 2010 yeah that's okay. the three-year period i'll okay. consent yeah. to that interesting I want to say which countries. I honestly, like, I'm drawing blank on my, my disaster. Oh, Armageddon as one. <laughs> no, but you're kind of in the ballpark. Ooh. I was going to say The Road because that's a phenomenal I book. I rewatched that last and, week. And movie. Nice. Mm-hmm. I love that movie, but it's 2009. It's also just too depressing right now. Very depressing. Uh, yeah. Right? Very bleak film. Wait till you have a son and then reread that. I'm going to think about yours. I want to guess Jason's here for crime. I'm going to guess you went, like, cop crime. Um, Chinatown. Ooh, that would have been a good guess. Yeah, Chinatown's potential. L.A. Confidential. Especially because I said the 70s. Like, there there were a lot of 70s ones that I looked at. All right, my two guesses here. L.A. Confidential and RoboCop. Those are great guesses. I, I had both of those on the list. Yeah. Okay. For sure. Cool, cool. And you guys aren't going to be able to guess my movies without looking up the director. Right, because we've so. never heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So do you have more to discuss about why you chose? Yes, yeah, sorry. Not, you know what it was? You know, before we recorded Eight and a Half, like, you called me to explain the rules to me. Mm-hmm. And while you were talking, you were like, yeah, and then we're doing the wild card episode. Two weeks later, I'm like, I still haven't fucking picked anything. And then <laughs> while you were talking to me, I was like, oh, like foreign films about the apocalypse. I don't know why I settled on that, but I just kind of ran with it. It's, okay, it's awesome. really cool because, I don't know, apocalypse films seem to have like, I don't know if people just have a morbid interest on in what the end looks like. 
and especially with well religion oh yeah it's, yeah all of humankind has always wondered what that i think is. i have a, guess a very good for you point now. There's apparently, sidebar, there's a lot of British films about the apocalypse really? that came out in the 60s and 70s, I think. So, And, and it kind of makes sense, because that's the generation that we're Can, I, can I ask a question for you? Sure. Is, are any of them zombie movies? Yes. 28 Days Later. Don't do it! Okay. Okay. It's not going to be Train to Busan, which is a fantastic zombie movie. 28 Days Later is British. So British? You could have picked... What's the what's the George Romero movie? Uh, Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead. Day of the yeah. Dead. Yeah, and, and the, some other ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I will say one of them was inspired by Night of the Living Dead, but I will also say I'm not. A, I've never really been a huge zombie fan. I could see you picking Evil Dead as an apocalypse movie. It's American. It's one of our favorite collectively together. That's true. Um, so. That would be one of my guesses. Okay. Shaun of the Dead would be pretty funny. <laughs> oh, man. That, that would, would have been fantastic. a way better choice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think we're going to start with Jason doing his first movie, then me, and then Mike. We'll do keep it the same order. Okay. Yep. Uh, well, I don't know which one to do first. I think I'm going to do the oldest first. Cool. So, dial M for murder. Cool. No we way. We almost did that for the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Hitchcock. And I didn't really think about it that we almost did it or anything because yeah. there was a, like there's so many Hitchcock movies. Right. So um, yeah. So I went back like fairly far into crime, mm-hmm. and I just found the um the idea of this movie to be so interesting. So Tony Wendis is he's a retired tennis player, and his wife is fairly rich, and they just signed a uh, some new like they just figured out their wills and uh, life insurance, and he's deciding now to kill her. Oh, and so he goes through the process of um, like figuring out an amazing murder. Mm-hmm. It's such a good plan, and the whole first third of the movie. I was like on the edge of my seat waiting for it to like all go go to plan. Right. And it almost does like perfectly. Mm. And then so the reason he wants to kill her is she took a lover who uh. is a crime novelist. And oh, interesting yeah, twist. Yeah. So okay. Tony Wendis is the main character who wants to kill his wife. Mark Halliday is the uh lover. And Tony asks, How do you go about writing a detective story? And Mark Halliday says, well, you forget detection and concentrate on crime. Crime's the thing. And then you imagine you're going to steal something or murder somebody. And he's like, oh, is that how you do it? Interesting. I won't go through the whole thing, but, like, he basically pulls out of him, how do you commit the perfect crime? But it's his plan is already in place. So he's kind of, like, double-checking with the crime writer. Right. And then... um, his wife, Margot, she's like, do you really believe in the perfect murder to Mark? And he says, yes, absolutely. On paper, that is. And I think I could uh, plan one better than most people, but I doubt if I could carry it out. And then she's like, "Uh, Tony, who's already planned the murder, he's like, oh, why not? And Mark is like, well, because in stories, things usually turn out the way the author wants them to. And in real life, they don't always. Interesting. I love the premise. Yeah. to me, it almost sounds like a, a heist movie about a murder. And yeah. I, I'm really interested in that premise. I really think that's a cool idea. I love that you picked that as your first movie. Yeah, it was uh, it was very enjoyable to watch. 
and uh, it was black and white as well, and mm-hmm. so that was like it's it was nice to see that. But there's so much Hitchcock in this, like mm-hmm. it's dripping with Hitchcock. Awesome. His Hitchcock is dripping, <laughs> Just, perspiring. Uh, Hitchcock. Yeah. So um and so yeah, the first act is. Just absolutely amazing. Am I going too far into it, or is this how far I should be going? No, go as far as you want. You've got a few more minutes, I think, left. Um, Are you you timing us? No, I should have been, though. Yeah, (laughs) five minutes per movie? Okay. Yeah, yeah, approximately. So he pulls in this random acquaintance of his who he knows has, like, a rough life, Mm -hmm. and uh, he brings him to his apartment, and then he blackmails him into, into, like doing the murder tomorrow night. Mm. He's sorted it all out because he's this famous tennis star who right. doesn't make that much money anymore because he's kind of at the end of his career. Okay. Uh. But his wife is rich, so he's got, like, the time. And um, for the past year, his wife has been uh, sleeping with someone else. There have been letters passed back and forth. Mm. Um, oh, he's a novelist, so they're great letters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The murder actually falls apart. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the... Oh, I, I don't know how far into spoilers. I don't. Now. Yeah, I don't know if you want to do any more spoilers I, than this. I, like, I it's so think, good. It's so good. I think so I good. Want to cut off because I'm hooked. I'm I'm yeah, I've got a yeah. nice hook here. I'm intrigued. I'm watching this movie at some point. Okay, the way Hitchcock pulls it around is absolutely amazing. I'm into it. I'm yeah. into it. We I'm should, I'm very intrigued. We by should this. do that at some point. We we will do that. I I hope that some of these do make it on the. Uh, podcast at some point in time so we might have to have like a follow-up discussion or if we have time tonight yeah a spoilers discussion yes yeah. post i almost say we do i don't know like because we might do is, them but the so problem, we are spoiling these movies for each we, other if we do that are we able to rope in the audience like if there's anyone you want us to talk about more yeah if, full episode on like let us know absolutely yeah if, if there's a if there's a movie that's the premise is so interesting that you want to check it out like absolutely let us know like i said previous to uh, us recording there is one movie on my list that there is no way in hell we do not do in this podcast at some point in time it knocked my socks off so much and and this is your time to talk so <laughs> you go ahead sorry so um i so i i went through that quote that back and forth yeah uh, that's like one of the best parts but there's so much um, back and forth. Mm-hmm. And, like, so a lot of crime has is, like, centered around a detective or, like, in this case, a murderer. Mm-hmm. This has a little bit of both. So there is a detective that comes up later, and he has the best mustache. And it actually has, <laughs> like, a little bit, like, it has a little bit of a character involved. Just That's in awesome. Just in, like, the very last scene, which I loved. Yeah. I just, like, as the movie was finishing, I was, like just coming down from this high and then he does this thing with he just brushes his mustache mm. it was just funny cool the power um move. yeah yeah <laughs> and yeah so like i don't know like i can't say too many quotes then if we're not uh spoiling stuff but the story in this was phenomenal how would awesome. you uh, hmm? how would you rate the movie like out of 10 is that a fair question yeah um so for me myself, I would definitely rate it like a a nine. Okay. Wow. Yeah, it's like. You it's, would you put it on par with uh, North by Northwest? Something we have talked about on the podcast. That's Hitchcock. Uh, yes, yeah, wow. and this and this is so much more. Well, this is 
a little bit more accessible, I think. Okay. Okay. For the major, like this is a, a Hitchcock that, if you don't want to get like too crazy, uh -huh. this is like a good run of the mill, like mainstream audience type of Hitchcock mm -hmm. that can get people intrigued by how he does his movies. Would does you... it hold up to by today's standards yes. as well? Yes. Would awesome. You, are you almost saying that it would be a good entry point? To yes. It's very good entry point. Okay. Cool. And I didn't know that going in. I just knew that like this fit the bill well and um it like yeah, 1954 it's like a good starting point for crime before like before you go really far back. Right. Okay. Right. Noise. Okay. Shall we pivot over to me for my first movie? Yes. yes. So, my first film that I did was the 1975 Oscar-nominated movie Dog Day Afternoon. Oh. Uh, have either of you heard of that? Heard of it and have no idea what it's okay. about. Okay, so yeah, it like, stars Al Pacino okay. um, and probably oh. the most likable character that he's ever played. The most human character he's ever played. So, the movie itself is a, a true story about a robbery, bank robbery gone horribly wrong. It oh. happened in 1972, so three years before the film came out. Mm. And when I'm talking, like, horribly wrong, I'm talking, like, so bad, it's funny. Like, this <laughs> movie is a black comedy. Mm. So, starring Al Pacino, the film review place premiere listed on their 100 greatest performances of all time as the fourth greatest performance wow. like i said wow. might be my favorite al pacino performance of all time and that's saying something it's a very grounded performance it's, so he's not like over the top al pacino not, no he's not like great ass <laughs> yeah, al pacino. yeah 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 do you remember that uh neil brennan joke where i think it was like the 90s where al pacino was just like i can only play archetypes or weather now <laughs> <laughs> so this is before that <laughs> So, other main that. characters that you might know uh, are cast. So, uh, John Cazale. The name might not be familiar to, to you, but you would know him from The Godfather as Fredo Corleone. Oh, so, fucking A. Yeah. Collaboration with Al Pacino and Fredo uh, again. Oh, together. Did they kiss? No. You didn't do the Fredo kiss? No. Okay. <laughs> So, so I don't want to see it. John Cazale yeah. is uh, one of his partners in crime during the heist. The other or the other actor that I can't actually tell you what character they play because it'll spoil a major part of the movie is Chris Sarandon, who plays Prince Humperdinck in The Princess Bride. I can't remember other movies that he's been in, but a relevant actor, probably even pre like when he becomes very prominent. So I, I have some like quotes here for you. So this is the first quote. This is the opening five minutes of the movie. So we have we have three robbers rob this bank middle of the afternoon, like 4 p.m. So they get in. Everybody draws their guns like like mm. crazy like moment. It's very tense. Like they lock the doors. And the third robber looks at Al Pacino and says, I can't do it, Sonny. And he's like, mm -hmm. and Sonny's like, what? And, and so he's like, I'm not going to make it, Sonny. And Sonny's like, oh, fuck me. And, like, the way he does it, like, his voice cracks. And, like, like I literally believed that he was about to cry. And he, like, the, he's wow. literally sitting there, like, we've pulled our guns. Like, yeah. this is in motion already. Oh, wow. And so the guy's like, I have to go. So, literally, off the bat, one of the three robbers leaves the bank. In the Shit. opening In the opening minutes of the movie. Wow. And other crazy things happen. Like, so this is early on in the movie as well. They go into the vault. They pull all the money out. There's $1,000 in cash in the vault. 
Uh, and so, so Al Pacino looks at the the bank manager and says, "Where's the money?" And the bank manager says, yeah. "At three o'clock, the truck came and pulled all the money out of the bank, and they had the information that the truck was going to deliver the money that day." Oh shit! So the rest of the movie, the police find out there. So the police show up, and then after that, the media shows up, and then. Finally, there's all the spectators, and this goes on over hours over this day because it becomes a hostage situation mm, after this. Yeah, of course. And so, it, it's a really interesting film because of the time period in which it came out. Is the seven, 1970s is a very angry time in America, and so there's a lot of lack of trust for the police due to like police brutality that was happening at that time there's also the inflation crisis of the 70s that a lot of people especially in new york are kind of living in impoverished situations i'm glad we moved past all that (laughs) so so this is the thing that i want to actually talk about and i'm going to talk about it a little bit more in my last film is that i've come to realize watching these 70s films that we're basically repeating the 70s right now today and it is crazy how like similar to the 70s we are living right now like i almost wonder if history just repeats itself every 50 years or so yeah almost exactly yeah like (laughs) it's wild it honestly is wild so so as the movie goes on like this just becomes like a circus with like all of these different parties like all in here it's chaotic it's also quite funny um because of the the acting the the emotions in it but it's really interesting is how the movie peels back the layers of Al Pacino's character. This is really a movie about mm. the character that Al Pacino plays and his motivations, his character. And at some point in time, he becomes almost like an unlikely hero in this situation. And the media almost starts to like show him as that. The police just horribly mess all of this up. <laughs> it, like it becomes a circus there. Like it's it's incredible. One of the most like edge of my seat just because of like how my mind blown. At one point, I looked at Jess and I was like, "The police are messing this all up, and this is going like this is getting worse and worse for them." <laughs> and meanwhile, the FBI is there biding their time, letting the police huh. make the mistakes so that they can come in and be the heroes. Yeah, and interesting. It's, it's, it's very it's very interesting. So Jess and I laughed out loud several times throughout the film. Like when it was over, like her and I looked at each other after and we're both like, wow, that was a really great movie. We've like, I've been talking about this movie with other people for the last month. Not a single other person has heard of this movie before. It uh, was nominated for six Oscars. It won the best original screenplay at that time. Lost most of its Oscar uh, nominations to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. Um, common theme with Sidney Lumet. Uh, unfortunate timing with a lot of his greats. Hmm. Um, losing to other major films of the era. I So I have one last quote that I want to mention before I wrap this movie up. Al Pacino's character speaking to the uh, chief of police. So they're kind of having this back and forth. And Sonny's like, you'd like to kill me. I bet you would. And the police officer says, I wouldn't like to kill you, but I will if I have to. Mm. And Sonny says, it's your job, right? The guy who kills me, I hope he does it because he hates my guts, not because it's his job. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Very great film. When you guys watch this at some point, I really honestly hope that you and the audience check this film out. What I want you to pay special attention to is the camera work in this film. Mm. I was really blown away, and that was something that I had to do some extra research on. And I'm not going to talk about that too much, but just the the way that the film is shot, I really noticed it and thought, I don't know how they're shooting 
this film in in this bank and getting around the things that they're getting around very interesting Hmm. uh behind the scenes there and the last piece that i'll end on with this film before i pass it on to you unless you guys have any questions that you want me to answer is i could not for the life of me guess how this movie was going to end and that's a very common theme for the next two movies that i had and i think that is something special that Sidney lumet really brings to his films is an unexpectedness to how his films end or when they end in in the point in the film hmm. out of 10 how would you rate this movie um it's it's pretty great it's damn near perfect i don't like giving scores to movies I'm gonna give it an eight point five. I think. Okay. I like. I'm. I'm gonna try to be a little bit critical because I think there is one movie in these three that is damn near perfect. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. So I gotta. I gotta set the bar. I guess. How would you rate uh, Al Pacino's performance compared to his other iconic performances? This is one of his greatest performances of all time. Like easily, it's like, it's is such. It, is it him like falling into a character, like disappearing into it, kind of? Absolutely or is it, disappearing yeah? into the character. Wow. Like because that's a little rare for him. Because a lot of the time he's Al Pacino. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, this is this is a very different performance from him. It's a lot more grounded. It's a lot more nervous. Like he's less in control yeah, of the okay. situation. Honestly, all time great and and. Over time, it has become known as one of the greatest performances of all time in a film. Okay. All right. Wow, that's a good one. Uh, I honestly, I hit the ground running with this one. This is probably the first one. I, I actually did my films in order as well about how I thought you should go into Sidney Lumet's filmography. Not picking 12 Angry Men. I specifically did not do that one because everybody knows that one. Okay. And so this one was almost like a little bit of a lighter tone. It's a little bit of a way to kind of ease yourself into his filmography, I thought. And it's going to be a very stark difference to my second one when I get to that. So, Mike, do you want to take it away with your first film? Sure. Okay. So, like I said, my category, the wildcard category, is foreign films about the apocalypse. They all have to have wildly different tones, and they all have to be from different decades. So, I'm going to... The decades I chose were the 90s, the aughts, and the 2010s. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start with the 2010s, and I'm going to work it back from there. Cool. Mm, Okay. So the first movie that I'm going to talk about is a Swedish film called Melancholia. I haven't heard of it. I love that movie. Oh, (laughs) shit. Really? I didn't. Wow. I didn't. Yeah, it's, I didn't know it was Swedish for one. Okay. it's by a. There, it's it's a trilogy. It's, it's part, part of, a, of a, a loose trilogy called the Depression trilogy. Yeah, or the uh, uh, the Dark Traits. You know that there's like three traits. The Dark Triad. Dark Triad trilogy. That's okay. I'm, it's loosely known as that as well. Okay, I'm not familiar with that, but <gasps> it's by a guy named. I am so happy. You're <laughs> okay, well, oh fasten your seatbelts because yeah. I might break your heart. Um. <laughs> So it's by a guy named Lars von Trier, who is quite the character in and of himself. Before I say anything else, I have to say one thing, and that's fuck this movie. (laughs) Really? Like, really, fuck this movie. Oh, man. I watched this at a great time in my life to be watching this movie. Okay, well, maybe I watched it at a bad time. I will say, this is an exceptionally well-shot and well-made movie. It's just... uh, You know what? Let me walk this back before I get to that point. Um... So the premise of the movie is Kirsten Dunst stars as Justine and she's marrying um, Alexander Skarsgård. Anyway, she's marrying him at this villa owned by her brother-in-law, John, played by Kiefer Sutherland. 
Huge cast. Huge cast. Yeah, cool. there's actually two Scars Guards in this movie. Yes. Wow. So you get two Scars Guards for the price of one. Um, <laughs> the old and the new. Yeah, actually, uh, Baron Harkonnen is one of the Scars Guards. He plays her boss. I'm going to lean into the spoilers a bit on this one. So the first half of this movie focuses on the marriage and just how... Basically, this is... One of the things I wanted to do when I chose these three movies is I wanted to pick three wildly different tones. Mm -hmm. And this is essentially an art house film about depression. Mm -hmm. And that kind of goes, the title Melancholia. Melancholia is an antiquated term for depression. And I think that might partly be why I wasn't as maybe well disposed towards this movie as Jason was, because the first five minutes of this movie are slow-mo artsy footage of the earth exploding nice <laughs> so but so the first half of the movie is all about Kristen Dunst and her wedding and just how all these different things go wrong um her parents are divorced and her mom is just a stone cold grade a bitch who makes a big scene at the wedding mm. um her dad played by John Hurt tries to make a speech it doesn't go that well like immediately the first thing that happens in this movie is you know them being late like a couple hours late to their own wedding reception because of car troubles. So lots of things are going on. But when we focus on Kirsten Dunst's character, Justine, um, basically Justine has severe depression and she's just trying to hold it together through this whole ordeal. Mm -hmm. There's actually a very upsetting scene where she talks to her older sister, um, Kiefer Sutherland's wife played by Charlotte Gainsborough, where she says like something to the effect of like, I'm carrying this gray wool with me and it just keeps getting heavier. And the visuals of that are amazing. Yes. So good. There's visuals that come in. Sorry, because I've seen this. No, go ahead. Um, Their relationship is very, like, integral, Mm -hmm. I would say, because it's like the older sister is looking from the outside in at her depression and how fucked it is. And she is trying to explain it from the outside and then there's the rest of the movie which i'll let you go into. yeah so really the the central kind of thrust or focus of the movie is justine and her older sister claire and the whole idea is that justine has severe depression and claire her older sister Kiefer Kiefer sutherland's wife is kind of the one taking care of her and when I say fuck this movie, I mean fuck this movie because it made me depressed. <laughs> like, seriously. Like, I've had kind of, not to get too personal, but I've had an on-again, off-again romance with high-functioning depression. And, like... Same. Yeah. High-five. Yeah. So... so <laughs> I, this, is, this is kind of funny. I actually got five... On the Saturday night, I watched this movie alone in my apartment... I got five minutes to the end of the movie and I turned it off. Wow. wow. And then I went to bed and I woke up upset the next day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, Did, and then you finished it? I finished or... it like a full 24 hours later. Yeah. Like wow. at 6 yeah, yeah. p.m. the next day. I was it... like, I was like, ah, oh, fuck <laughs> it. And I turned it on and the second half is about, there's a rogue planet named Melancholia that scientists have just discovered. Mm-hmm. And this rogue planet is about to come crashing into the earth. It's essentially like someone says it's going to crash into us and the earth is going to explode into a billion pieces. Yeah. So there's what's interesting, though. And again, I'm leaning a little bit on spoilers is that Kirsten Dunst is, again, super fucking depressed. Like after she ends up basically sabotaging her own wedding 
Wow. At her wedding, she mouths off to her boss, um, Baron Harkonnen, and <laughs> ends up getting fired. We were talking earlier about movies that are kind of meh, but are sold on their performance, and Kirsten Dunst's performance as Justine has been widely, widely, widely critically acclaimed, yeah. and she deserves it. She's yeah. fucking amazing in this awesome. movie. Like I said, this movie made me depressed, and, and that's because of her. That is the point, too. Yes. So. And, and, oh, fuck. I loved it because it was so accurate to me. Yeah, and you know, Lars von Trier, the director, he went on record saying that, like, this movie was inspired by a depressive episode he has and that the character of Justine is heavily based on himself. And what he observed was that when he became depressed, it's like the whole world became depressed. Right. And that's mm. kind of what inspires this movie. It's and- a very interesting premise. I don't want you to spoil this bit to me, but it's almost as if the, the world ending here, like you don't even know if that's actually something that's happening and present in the world or if it's like the just the depression weighing the character down and it and it like metastasizes i can't think of the exact word, good word. like she's almost summoning the rogue planet exactly. with yeah. her depression yeah. other critics exactly. have observed that about the movie yeah. yeah and it's all it's like the i don't necessarily want to say antithesis of don't look up mm-hmm. but it's kind of like that where she's like look up like she's like like look at what is happening right to me at least yeah. like that is the feeling that I'm feeling and so look up and understand what is interesting about the movie is that in the second half as melancholia is raging towards planet earth there's a scene where like Charlotte her older sister I think her name's Charlotte has to like help her into a bathtub and feed her because she's so depressed she can't even do that but then as the world is ending Justine kind of cheers right up and Charlotte, the older sister, becomes a fucking mess. Yeah. So Claire is the sister's Claire. name. Charlotte is the actor. Right, right. There's this really kind of haunting scene where they're talking at dinner and Justine says, like, the earth is evil and no one will miss it. I don't have the direct quote on me, but she's essentially saying that, like, life is a mistake and in a few hours it won't exist anymore. Wow. And it's just... And- this movie made me fucking depressed. Yeah, I can't yeah. overstate that. So the the family around her and how she interacts with them and then how like how everything changes throughout the movie, very phenomenal. Awesome. Yeah. Like, very good. I, I really enjoyed that because you see like the interaction before when it's just her depressed and then at like by the end where she's like, I've been ready for this type of thing my whole life. And yeah. None of you were. And none of you could understand until right now, wow. and it's too late. I would almost say that this may actually be one of, if not the most accurate portrayals of depression wow. in yeah. cinema. And the fact that it just made me so yeah. sad cool. watching yeah. it. That, yeah. there's that just like a hard watch. There's just a sense of like hopelessness and futility think, in this movie. I think other people might have trouble seeing it for what it is in like how good at portraying it it is, and they... I don't know. Like, I watched it in a certain uh, period of my life where that, like, I was like, this is the only thing that's ever gotten me. Mm. And, like, so that's where, um, 
Like, I'm not sure if everybody... Like, I would like to see what, what other people... Everybody has a certain level of experience with this kind of topic, so... Yeah, I would... I guess, like, if you have depression, you might really hate this, or you might feel extremely validated by yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, we gotta move on. So, Jason, it's actually your turn. Second movie. What's up on the docket? All right. So, one guess was correct. Who wants to think? Who thinks it's theirs? Chinatown. It's, Robo it's Chinatown. Oh, <laughs> it's Robocop. <laughs> Man, Robocop, I want to do so bad. <laughs> we will do it for the podcast. And we'll uh, the podcast. Judgment Day was an. Or, sorry, uh, the, uh, there's Robocop and then there's the. Oh, other... you're talking about. Um, oh, no. I know uh, what you're talking about. I just had it, but. The, the judge, judge, judge Dredd. Judge Dredd. Dredd. Oh you. shit! Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that was the other one that, like, I was. I really love those movies. Mm. But anyways, I went with Chinatown. More. Oh, man, I'm so I'm <clears throat> jealous that you've watched Chinatown now. Yeah, I know. It's it's always been on the list. It's, yeah. It is like part of the list of like the world. It's quintessential Jack it's, Nicholson. Yeah, exactly. And um, I loved watching younger Jack Nicholson. Yeah, so I, I chose this because, like, as my 70s movie, because it's one of the best of the crime in the 70s. Mm -hmm. So the first one that I did was Criminal Mastermind, like, Suspense. Right. So, with Dial M for Murder. This one is, like, the gritty detective. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's kind of a slow burn, but mm -hmm. there it keeps you engaged because you don't know what's happening. Mm -hmm. And you have this gritty detective trying to figure it out. And he's, like, a suave gritty detective like he he can deal with some shit throughout most of the movie he has a bandage on his nose because one of the bad guys that he doesn't really know who hired these people he like he puts a knife in his nose and slits his nostril like oh, cuts yeah. it because he's like uh like the guy's like like oh like curious kitty like what happens to curious kitties they get their snout mm. scratched mm -hmm. or something like that and cuts his knows and so that like that's kind of like part of who he is in that moment jack nicholson is well he he left the force he was a cop mm -hmm. and he is now a private detective with like a very successful little firm that he's running mm -hmm. and he actually gets swindled which i wasn't expecting like he was swindled to snoop on somebody somebody's wife comes in and was like could you go after my husband to see if he is actually cheating interesting this is kind of like the Fle original fletch vibes yeah yeah that was also kind of like i i saw a bunch of the fletch while i was like yeah. researching this area he finds out that the husband that he's looking at and is actually cheating he finds out that the lady that came in wasn't actually his wife and he's like, I am a, like, I'm a professional at this. Right. How did I get swindled? Mm. So he goes after the actual wife of the guy. I don't know if I'm explaining this fully enough, <laughs> but uh, the the setting of this, it's a 70s movie, but it's based on like the 30s right. in LA. So this is right around the time, like before the Great Depression, I think. And the city is in a drought. Like hardcore drought. Okay. People are like, like, th like everything's kind of bad, mm -hmm. and the people who control the water, like the water department, 
that's where this whole like conspiracy lies. Mm. And so he's uh, going after the. Is this in Hollywood? Like taking place in LA? Yeah, 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 LA. And so this is actually based on a like somewhat true events of the, like the time like, period. Yeah, and there was like a water wars that was happening behind the scenes in LA. Mm. So I don't want to. No, this doesn't really matter because it's hi- history, really. But uh, the valley, you know, the valley, like everyone knows yeah. the valley. The valley was created off of this huge conspiracy where huh. the water people, they were like flushing water at night so that nobody noticed. So everybody was in a drought while they're pumping water and just making it disappear. They created a drought so that they could buy up all this property in this valley. Right. And then they, because they controlled the water, they yeah. were going to start sending it out to the valley so that that became prime real estate. Huh. So hmm. that's the whole like real life thing. And yeah. this is like the movie that brought this to attention in the 70s. You know, in the 70s, everybody hates cops. Oh, everybody yeah. hates like the, the Very man. Very on theme with what yeah, I did as well. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, this actually brought about a bunch of that vibe in the 70s that was happening. Right. This movie helped with that. Yeah. So this is like it's a huge movie. Jack Nicholson is amazing mm-hmm. throughout it. Roman Plansky is a huge, amazing actor or sorry, director. Yeah. And um, I don't like I don't actually know enough of his works, but like Chinatown, Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. Mm. Uh, like somewhat more recently, he has like Carnage, The Ghost Rider, The Tenant. No, I don't know that one either. Those are but, all good movies. Yeah. They um. He's Polish, and Annabelle's Polish, so she right. loves him. Yeah. Mm. Bit of a controversial figure as yeah. well in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a surprising amount of Polish people in Hollywood. Like, Interesting. Oh. And they, they make some amazing things, and they run a lot of like the sets, like production and stuff, too. The story, I don't know how much to talk about the story at this point. You're pretty much at your limit, I think, for time anyway, so... Okay, I just want to say the quote that I have... Uh, Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Is yeah. like the the classic line, yeah. and um, so like Chinatown is really rough, and that's where he came from as a cop, and so everything circles back to that right. in this movie. With like, I didn't know how it was gonna be tied in, uh-huh. and then it just at the end gets tied in. This sounds like a very rewatchable movie that rewards rewatches yeah, and yeah, understanding yeah. things. Yeah. I love a movie that is is complicated, but also like able you're able to understand and follow what's happening yeah and honestly oh just to speak about like what i loved about this movie the um the ending like i was like i really wanted this person to get away and i was like they have to and then there's like the tiniest thing was foreshadowing and i saw it yeah i was like this is important and it's because it was so unimportant that it was important interesting and then so that thing came back full circle and was awesome and just like destroyed me because by the end i was so invested Mm. that like i was like no (laughs) and um and then just to tie in another quote joke that uh really displayed Jack Nicholson's like character and his his whole vibe as like a gritty jokester kind of cop. One of the cops that he used to work with in Chinatown is like, what happened to your, your nose, Jake? Someone slammed a window on it. And he was like, nope, your wife got excited. She crossed her legs a little too early. 
and like it was just like the perfect little slam down and the guy tried to go after him and like oh, it, yeah. it was oh and the villain is so far removed from the beginning of the movie that I was like where is the vi- like who 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 is the one at, like actually doing all this and the villain as we learn him to be is just nails it his name's John Houston um is that the same guy no i think John Houston's the actor yeah the John Houston the actor yeah. yeah anyways um he he just killed it with like one of his quotes which uh, I think I have right here. Uh, so Jake, the detective, is talking to the villain Noah Cross, and he's like, how much are you worth? And the villain's like, I have no idea. How much do you want? <laughs> and uh, Jake is like, I just want to know what you're worth. More than 10 million? And Noah's like, oh my, yes. And Jake is like, uh, why are you doing it? How much better can you eat? What could you buy that you can't already afford? And Noah's like, the future, Miss Giddies the future and uh john houston the villain kills it in that movie yeah he, like absolutely amazing and like realistic and that's what brought about a lot of that change in the 70s i think like that that fit in very well with what was happening in the 70s so my next film my second film on the list here we're we're going a little bit darker we're going back in time a little bit to the 1965 film the hill I don't expect uh. either of you to ever heard of this one. It's one of his, uh, one of his best, in my opinion. Not as well known. It's uh, starring a maybe an actor that you might have known uh, or you, that you might know named Sean Connery, um, <laughs> in mm. one of his personal favorite movies of all time. And he specifically took the film to avoid being typecast as James Bond. This is him exiting James Bond. Um, and it's credited with the film that actually uh, pivoted his career into more dramatic roles. And that was wow. what he wanted. So this this is a very important film, not only to him, but to his career as well. It's the first of five films that he ended up making with Sidney Lumet. And he said that Sidney Lumet is one of his favorite directors ever to have worked with. The film itself is a black and white film it's a british film a lot of british actors in it essentially it's a prison drama about a group of uh misfit military servicemen who are sent to an african military prison uh it's a Mm. british military prison uh during world war ii i believe would this be the berber war or the uh the one that i believe it's uh, world war churchill so there's like there's little mini campaigns that happened during that time uh-huh. in North Africa. Uh-huh. And uh. so is that. And, and Churchill. Anyways, I'll let you continue. The name of the movie is based on the giant hill in the center of the prison compound, uh, which is used as punishment. So it's 200 feet high. And what you are forced to do is during, in the ha- at, sorry, in the hot African sun, you're forced to run up and down the hill both sides while carrying your bags and everything else. Um, and when I'm saying hot, I mean like 50 degrees Celsius Sahara Desert hot. It's known as the least hospitable place on earth. Hmm. So basically these new five prisoners are show up and over time as they're kind of initiated into the prison encampment, each one of them has a different reason for being there and various levels of, of problems with themselves. Like one of them's a drunk, one of them stole and sold, sold stuff to the enemy 
military, like equipment. Uh, Sean Connery's character disobeyed an order from a superior and then ended up punching him in the face. He was actually an officer and a superior. He disagreed with the superior. I can picture him doing that in real life. Yeah. Uh, This is a really great performance by him and uh, one of his... I am him at a younger time as well, which is really cool. I've wanted to watch some of him as a younger actor. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen any of his James Bond films? No. Very good. Very good. Did you Uh, know, this is just kind of left field. Do you know that he actually hated playing James Bond? Yeah. That's, this is the reason why he took this role is because he wanted to pivot out of that. Very, very important film in his career. Like I can't understate that enough. If you had to guess, what would you say rating wise? I haven't told you, the, uh, like the hill's not a well-known film where do you think rating wise in imdb this stands on uh like actual like fiction films in his filmography are you are you talking about it just in his or yeah, in just in his top top ratings of films of whose sorry of sean connery's, sean connery's? yeah we're we talking performance wise uh we're talking rating of his films his his starring roles since it's his transition out mm-hmm. those like the bonds were probably the favorites and then this one is probably... I'm going to guess third. You nailed it. Fucking it's third. Right. However, if his first two... His actually, this actually is higher higher rated than the James Bond films of his. His first highest is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade with oh, 8.2. Ah, amazing. Well, the second one, and this is kind of tied so you could argue, is uh, The Untouchables, which is a crime film that yes. you might have picked. I, I I almost actually did pick that one. It's so I, funny how yours and our films intertwine yeah, a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. I totally times. forgot he was in that movie. Yeah, I haven't seen it myself. I need to watch it at some point. Fill out my, uh, my crime bingo card. What's really interesting about this film is it's it's really a character study. There's not a lot of plot driving things forward. Um, there's no music whatsoever in this film. It's it's a very grounded film. As the prisoners are like initiated into this, they they clash with the authorities of the camp. So there's one new guard in particular who who wants to like you know show that he's rough and tough kind of thing. So he puts like th- these characters through these excessive punishments and one of the characters actually dies. And so at this point in time, things get crazy in the camp because there's this power struggle between the sergeant of the camp. One of the other staff is like more humane and he's like, this is wrong. We should be, we should be taking care of these men more and training them. And, and, and we push somebody too far, like this guy and this guy's taking control of this camp. And you don't even see that he's taking control mm, of this camp. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the prisoners themselves and, and Sean Connery being an officer, like a very like dutiful man is like, this is wrong as well. And, and so there's all this power struggle going on in the camp and, and how we're going to resolve this issue. I don't want to spoil how this film ends. I looked at Jess. This is the second time I looked at Jess in our, in our three films. And I said, I have literally no idea how this movie ends. Mm. And I will say, this is one of the bleakest endings to a film I've Ooh, ever seen. Ooh, wow. The implication of it. I was like, wow. Like, I did not yeah, expect yeah. it to take the turn that it did. And it ends at, like, almost like a high point in the film. It's, it's a very, it feels abrupt, but it was perfect in the execution of the ending. One of the movies I was looking into was The Mechanic. That's Christian uh, Bale, right? No. Oh, no. different than The so, Mechanic. So this is The oh. Mechanic. This is the 70s Mechanic. Neat. So uh, actually it was uh, J- Jason Statham who did The Mechanic in like the more modern times. Okay. And it's very different. That's com- oh, uh, that's complete. Yeah. It's It's on the same track. But mm-hmm. anyways, uh, Charles Bronson is uh, nice. one of the actors in that. And uh-huh. he was also in The Great Escape, which is... 
very similar to this movie. Right. The Great Escape is one of the best movies. Like it's one of my favorite movies. It's a good one. How how similar have you seen? I haven't seen those, so I okay. can't I can't comment on that. I will say, Jess hated this film. Like, (laughs) hated this film. And that's why I was like, and I really enjoyed it. I thought, like, the characterizations are really well done. There's, like I said, there's not a lot of plot. It's just, it's just about the characters, how they're dealing with the situation that they're faced with. Every character, every one of those actors had a really phenomenal performance. There's not a lot of, like, specific lines that I want to talk about because it's just the interactions between the five of them and, and how they're reacting to the 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 plot going forward so like the great escape is like a a lighter funner version of that with a little bit of darkness and tragedy and the realism of world war ii but it's they're trying to escape from a camp so it's all centered in a camp though right yes yeah all all, the entire movie takes place in there i would recommend watching with subtitles because the the british accents in this one are very strong and the film almost does like too good of a job of portraying what it's like to be in a military prison. Like there's a lot yeah. of, you know, officers like yelling and forcing drills and stuff like that. And because like there's this constant yelling, there's so much going on in the background. Like it really does feel like you're there, but it's also somewhat hard to make out the actors and what they're saying at times. And so, so I would recommend listening to that because I did lose a little bit at the beginning, I think. Okay. Um, and they did too good of a job with that. It's actually based on a screenplay by a guy who spent some time in military prison so how i want to end this movie is two very famous notable uh hollywood people who cited this as their favorite films of all time this is it's it's a movie that's kind of faded into obscurity like a lot of uh city lumet's films but uh woody allen stated that this is one of his favorite films of all time another not controversial at all director (laughs) Uh, so his so I actually really like the quote that he said about the film. Um, so I'm going to say it here. So for some reason, American audiences do not really know the film The Hill. In a filmography like Sidney Lumet's, which includes many remarkable works, The Hill is perhaps the most successful. I certainly consider it one of the greatest American films. The making of this captivating story is perfect from the in- actor's impeccable performances to the inspired camera movements. And that's something to, again, I really want to highlight is h- how... Sidney Lumet uses the camera to his advantage and how he takes, especially if you ever watch this film, and I really hope you guys do check this out, how he portrays the characters' faces. He does it in a Mm. grotesque way to really, like, magnify their their emotions and their reactions to the things going on. So, back to the quote. It's an immediate and total experience. Every time I see it, I am surprised that such a wonderful film can pass unnoticed and fall into oblivion, which is exactly what happened. And Uh it's really sad about this. The other actor who cited this as one of their their favorite films of all time is Angelina Jolie. Mm. And she actually said that this inspired the 2013 film Unbroken, which she directed and was written by the Coen brothers. Oh wow! Yes, very important film. I've never actually seen it. I'm I'm a big fan I've of the Coen Brothers. Never heard that they wrote a movie that she directed. Yeah, really That's cool. I'm gonna have to check that out. out after seeing The Hill. I I really loved it. I really enjoyed it. It's um, a sports action drama war film. Yes. Oh, okay. a lot happening in it. So a totally normal movie. Yes. All right. Let's move on to your second movie, Mike. Okay. So. I do have to confess, one of you guessed this movie. <laughs> yeah. I so my category again was foreign. You guessed f- mine, and I guessed That's yours. True. So foreign films about the apocalypse. So this, the movie I chose from 2002 is 28 Days Later, which is one of my favorites of all it's time. It's one of the best zombie f- films of all time. Too. Absolutely. Uh so. I will say. Uh, Had you seen it before? No, I hadn't. Oh, so I the watched first it. Viewing. I actually watched it, uh, so 
I watched Melancholia and I was fucking depressed. So I was like, oh, I need to watch something a little more uplifting. And then I watched watched 28 Days Later and I'm like, well, this was a terrible decision. So I will say, um, probably out of my three movies, I have the least to say about this movie, but I will say I really enjoyed it. This movie stars a young Killian Murphy as a dude named Jim who gets hit by a truck. He's a delivery boy who gets hit by a truck or something and goes into a coma and wakes up 28 days later after a rage virus has infected the populace. So this movie is most notable for, I believe, popularizing, if not introducing the concept of fast zombies. Mm. Yes. There's a scene, there's some very good scenes where he wakes up just wandering around the deserted streets of London looking for people he wanders into a church. He sees a priest who comes sprinting towards him with blood red eyes, foaming at the mouth. And things just get better and better from there. So, honestly, I've, it's been a long time since I watched this, but this is one of the great zombie movies. And I'm so glad you picked I it. I will say, st- I, did wa- I did write this down. Stylus Magazine in 2007 considers this the second best zombie movie of all time after only Night of the Living Dead, mm, yeah, which yeah. kind of really introduced the concept to modern audiences. Um, mm. But I will say that I was depressed after Melancholia, so I wanted to watch something uplifting, <laughs> and I chose this movie. But I will say that like, what I think I admired most about this movie was the vibe or the tone. Because mm-hmm. this isn't as bleak as this movie is, it's not a nihilistic movie. No, it's it's got hope at the end, like... I, I mean, Brendan Gleeson's character is very tragic, what happens to him. I love him as mm-hmm. an actor, um, and his portrayal is one of the greatest parts of the film. And and even though he meets a very tragic end, like, partway through, there is, there is, you're right, there's hope at the end. And even just, like, throughout the movie, like, one of my favorite scenes is Killian Murphy, Jim, he hooks up with some other people, one of them played by Naomi Harris, and then he meets, um... I already forget that guy's name. Cillian Murphy and Naomi Harris meet up with a father and a daughter. And Mm. one of my favorite scenes is they raid a uh, grocery store. And the whole scene is just them, like, taking shit. And, like, there's a scene where Cillian Murphy is, like, loading wine in the cart. And the older guy's like, the fuck are you doing? Get that shit out of there. And he's like, see, you want this aged scotch. That's what we're taking with us. (laughs) And he's, like, loading it into the cart. And then... There's a really funny moment where, like, as they're, like, pushing their shopping carts out of this grocery store, he just, like, like, oh, here, let me get this. And he lays his uh, credit card down on the counter as they leave. Right. <laughs> so, like, this movie is surprisingly charming. Like, yeah. I was noted that, like, you know, Naomi Harris that he meets up with pretty quickly after waking up, mm-hmm. she tells him multiple times, like, if you slow me down, I'm going to leave you behind. Or, you know when they meet up with a father and daughter, she's like, you know, if they slow us down, like, we don't need them, they need us, and, like, if they slow us down, we're gonna leave them behind, and, like, as the movie goes on, like, she starts kind of opening up to him, he starts opening up to her, and all that fun stuff, and... They infect each other. Kinda, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> she was in two, um, James Bond movies, just to... That's right. Cool. She was uh, Money Penny, right? Skyfall Inspector, yeah. Yeah. And she was she was Eve and then Many Money Penny. Okay. Oh. I'm not a super familiar with James Bond. Actually, it's Anyways. funny that we're talking about that after <laughs> Sean Connery, but honestly, like, if anything, whereas Melancholia was just like, 
life sucks, this planet sucks, let's blow it up. This movie was almost kind of, you know, it's like, yeah, things are bad, but, like, you need to stick it out. Or you need, not even you need to stick it out, you need to stick together. Like, we almost need each other. And there's almost kind of, like, a very strong family vibe throughout the movie. Yeah, they do bond and become a family by the end, I would say. And he ends up hooking up, the whole thing is they catch a distress signal from a military base and they go towards it and things quickly are not what quite what they seem there right. and yeah it's almost first there were uh fast zombies now they're smart zombies and they are calling you home <laughs> yeah. is that i no it's no, not it's not it but <laughs> yeah. we'll workshop that yeah. but anyways yeah there's... can you imagine just really smart zombies like they're like doing some like physics and stuff in their heads really quick and like figuring there's, out there's it's that'd be scary there is a um there's a bad guy character his name's oh shit i have it written down his name is um well whatever he's a major and there's a scene where they're at this military base having a very tense dinner and he says you know in the last four weeks all i've really seen is people killing people and the four weeks before that it was just killing people killing people and the four weeks before that just People killing people. And this movie, a lot of zombie movies, like The Walking Dead and The Night of the Living Dead and all that, mm-hmm. a common thread running through all of them isn't so much the zombies being the biggest threat to the characters, so much it's as the people. it's man's yeah. inhumanity to man. And mm-hmm. this movie highlights that in a very interesting way. Absolutely. The, vi- I- the villain in this movie is surprisingly sympathetic, but also like completely abhorrent. Mm. So... Anyways, yeah, I Melancholia can go fuck itself, but I would recommend this movie. Cool. And it's streaming on Disney Plus, of all places. Awesome. We will do that at the end. I did think about that, that we'll uh, summarize what movies are streaming where. Okay. Yeah, maybe we'll link them in later at the beginning. I don't know. Oh, so we'll talk about the end, because we, we haven't talked about all the movies yet, right? Yeah, so. I know, I know, but the people listening... Uh, whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know what? Fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> if it sounds interesting, go find it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go on Just Watch and yeah. you're set. Like, just make Just Watch one of your bookmarks and you're set. You can listen to this and not have to listen to us tell you where it is. You could just Absolutely. turn the podcast off right now and just, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I got one movie left. And okay. I am excited to talk right. about it. But first, Jason's net last movie. Yes. Man, I'm actually pretty excited about this. I hope you two have seen it. This is my second viewing. Cool. But this movie potentially incited certain psychopathic like um uh oh i know what you're gonna talk killers about. Uh, I think you're talking I about natural born killers aren't you seven no natural born killers ah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. i've i haven't seen it fully yet i, I saw part of it on tv okay so definitely get subtitles because on my second this is my second watch the first time i watched it i was like 14 mm-hmm. and um <laughs> bad time to watch it but it was like amazing to me mm-hmm. yeah natural born killers that's a 1994 woody harrelson just nails it in this and uh just as a shout out to annabelle it's juliette lewis yes is, is uh mallory knox fantastic actress yeah Love she her. she really is she started out in like one of the like the 90210 or some bullshit like that like one of I'm those not sure. shows I, my one of my more memorable uh movies of her is christmas vacation obviously yeah okay yeah um, that's why have... and, and a few others she's been in a few other great films i have no idea yeah. who you guys are talking about it's like a bonnie and clyde but 
with 90s vibes. Hmm. So first they uh they meet. He's a he's working for a butcher and uh her dad like he shows up to her house and her dad is uh Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And Rodney Dangerfield is like this is the craziest most like fucked up thing that he's probably ever done. The like the craziest character that he's ever played. He's a comedian, but he's playing this so funny like he in such a dark way. This movie is like quintessential 90s. Like okay. like like two years before this, uh, like Nirvana just hit the like waves with uh, Teen Spirit, and everything changed after that. Mm-hmm. This fell in line directly after that with like the craziest vibe of the '90s. I would say, just like at least like movie culture, like which kind of ended. I want to say this is very relevant to. Um, uh, we were just talking about this movie because of the soundtrack. Do you remember what I'm talking about? It came out in 2000. Um, Requiem for a Dream. Oh, holy shit. So, like, Natural Born Killers may have been one of the first movies to, like, describe this decade Mm -hmm. of, like, uh, crime movies. Mm -hmm. But, like, Requiem for a Dream ended it in uh, 2000 or so, whenever that came. 2003, I believe. I remembered from when I was 14, like, how awesome this movie was, how, like, crazy the violence was. Like, this this was my psycho killer's side of crime. Mm. And mm. we are following this couple as they just go on a murder spree. Like, right. like, pure, like, no thought about who they're killing. They're just killing for the fun of it. It's a very stylish film. Yes. Yeah. And that is what I forgot, was how artistic and, like, how complex it is it's constant it's like adhd right which is like what came out in the 90s we all were diagnosed with it (laughs) everybody was diagnosed with it who was born in the 90s yeah this is like kind of like where that idea started or something like that i don't think anything done before this was the way this was and not too many followed up with it in such an amazing way you have to put subtitles on this. I watched the director's cut, right. which is four minutes extra. So okay. they cut out four minutes to, so that they didn't get rated R. Which <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what four minutes they cut out because <laughs> it's all rated R. It's fucked. And uh, but, goddamn, is this a good movie? So wait, you've seen it? You've seen it? I've seen parts. Of uh, it. I've heard of it. I haven't okay. seen it. Go watch this fucking thing. <laughs> okay. Um, it is glorious and. Uh, Woody Harrelson is like at his peak mm-hmm. because he still has hair, and, um, <laughs> but not all over. It's like patchy. Yeah, yeah, it's starting yeah. to go. Starting yeah, to go. But, but like he looks fucking badass, mm-hmm. and um, they have like so much artistic clips. There's clips of everything, like sewn into this movie like they hacked it apart and sewed it back together. Right. And uh, there's little clips of like cartoon. Of like a super jacked Woody Harrelson, like it's like it's like uh, the w- Woody Harrelson was the Hulk, and it was it was like drawn in the '90s because it was, right? And it was so good, like that little interlaced thing, and the story, like the the love that these two had for each other, and the lack of humanity that they had, and like the love because of that, it encaptures something that it it's perfect. Hmm. 
Cool. For crime, it's a little like it is the '90s crime. Like, there's so many good so, '90s crime. It's movies, so stylish but... that it, it's it's jarring if you were to like watch it with like Goodfellas or something like that because it's so yeah. different and yeah. how it portrays the film and it's so artsy. So it's by the director Oliver Stone, uh. who isn't super well known. Platoon is the only thing that I know from him. No, Oliver Stone is actually a very prominent writer. He's, like he he's pretty prominent. He's not a name that you know, but Platoon, Wall Street, Eight Million yes, Ways to Die. Street, yeah, J- yeah. Did he do Scarface? No. He did Scarface. Oh, he wrote on it. Oh. Yes, that's what I mean. He was a really prominent okay. writer. So we do have a connection in the writing credit here with Conan the Barbarian. What? That's where that's where our connection to our oh. previous filmography is. I knew that Oliver Stone had popped up in a previous episode. Wait, are you saying Oliver Stone wrote on Conan the Barbarian? He wrote the film Conan, the nineteen eighty two um Arnold Schwarzenegger film. That's yeah, yeah. so fucking funny. <laughs> I would never have linked that yeah, that so guy with this, that movie. This is like a director that I, I want to see more of his stuff and I want to look into his writing. I want to look in, into him a little bit more. But um, the whole point, and this is going to round out like a lot of our discussions tonight, mm-hmm. is that media kills everything. But this is a uh, rare 90s uh, Robert Downey Jr., film oh interesting he he plays an australian reporter uh-huh. and he's part of the media and this is like kind of what mickey and mallory are like going against and mm-hmm. it's like it's spread it's throughout the film is like how uh media corrupts everything hmm. and so that's very like on par for some of our discussions and on like some of our uh so this is like one of the classic quotes is uh, Mickey is talking to the reporter, Robert Downey Jr., Wayne Gale. And uh, so Mickey's like, I realized my true calling in life. And Wayne Gale's like, what's that? And Mickey's like, shit, man, I'm a natural-born killer. <laughs> and like he, like he nails that, like saying the title of the movie. Mm-hmm. You and I are on such a similar uh, brainwave in this, in this, pause, in yeah. this episode. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, I can't wait to tell you what my last one Oh, is. awesome. I'm, I'm pumped. So Mickey is saying to Wayne, he's like, you'll never understand, Wayne, you and me, because he's Wayne is like a reporter. He's interviewing him. Uh, you'll never understand, Wayne, you and me. We're not even the same species. I used to be you. Then I evolved. From where you're standing, you're a man. From where I'm standing, you're an ape. You're not even an ape you're a media person media is like the weather only it's man-made weather murder it's pure you're the one who made it unpure impure you're buying and selling fear you say why i say why bother nice. and like it's a good line yeah it's just all about like going into the mind of the psychopath but then also looking back on what created the psychopath mm. which is the media right i We'll check that out again. I, I don't think I gave it the time of day that it deserved at that point in time. I don't know if I was mature enough to understand it at that point in time. Because, I like I said, I have seen parts of it, but it's been at probably about 10 years since yeah. I checked it out. So, like, my original viewing, I got a lot of it, I think, was going on. But um, I definitely missed a lot, too. And uh, Fight Club is a crime movie. Yeah. It's one of my favorite movies or it yep. has been in the past. I'm I think I'm I've grown past it now. Yep. But like that's that's kind of what happened with 
Natural Born Killers is it was like a, like a lot of people, and it portrays this in the film, regular teens and everything loved Mickey and Mallory. Right. And it shows it in the media that was like interspersed throughout. And so it, it's like a similar thing with Fight Club where like every guy loved Fight Club because it felt like something real, something that they wanted but couldn't get and they wanted to be like that but like never could or something like that. So Anyways, kind of like that 90s anti-establishment yeah, kind of edge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I can get behind that. Yeah. Cool. Okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. You've, you've been cut off now. We got two other movies to talk before we wrap this up. All right. So, like I said, you and I are in a very similar brainwave on this episode. My final film is maybe Sidney Lumet's masterpiece. It's not as highly rated as 12 Angry Men. It might. It's my front runner for greatest best film that I've watched this year. I absolutely love it. It's the 1976 film Network. Have either Hmm. of you heard of Network before? No. So, it's a satirical black comedy. And it honestly, today, it almost feels like a uh, a precursor of what's to come with media. Um, I'm going to start with the opening narration and to start and get you guys into the vibe of this film. So, this is the story of Howard Beale, who was the news anchor on UBS TV. In his time, Howard Beale had been a Mandarin of television, the grand old man of news, with a hut rating of 16 and a 28 audience share. In 1969, however, his fortunes began to decline. He fell to a 22 share. The following year, his wife died, and he was left a childless widower with an 8 rating and a 12 share. He became morose and isolated, began to drink heavily, and on September 22, 1975, he was fired, effective in two weeks. The news was broken to him by Max Schumacher, who was the president of the news division at UBS. The two old friends got properly pissed. (laughs) So, the opening of the film opens with... uh, Basically, these two guys going, Howard Beale and Max Schumacher going out, getting blackout drunk together to, to basically just stew over what's happened and, and, and how it's out of their control. And so while they're blackout, basically blackout drunk, Howard Beale says to his friend, like, I have nothing left to live for. Like, this was it. They're like, I'm in my 60s. Like, I have I have no family. Like, you're taking, this is the last thing you're taking away from me. And so Max Schumacher, blackout drunk, says, well, maybe you should just kill yourself. Like, <laughs> he's like, why don't you do it live on there? He's like, I bet you'd get a lot of, uh, you'd get oh, your share shit. would go up. So the next day he goes on the air and he says, well, audience, uh, this is my, the end of my career as the host of this, uh, news program. I've been let know, I've been let go in effective in a couple weeks. He's like, I, I really have nothing left to live for. So in two weeks time, I'm just going to blow my brains out live on the air. Wow. And so, the great part of this is, is nobody's paying attention because everybody's wrote this off. Yeah. So it takes a few minutes before somebody realizes that this has gone live out to America. Yeah. And so this starts a storm, right? Oh, wow. the, the, the network is like, oh my God, like this is going to kill us. And instead what happens is, is the ratings go up. Mm-hmm. And so somebody, there's this woman at the network who's an up and coming network uh, director. And she realizes that she can make money off of this. Uh She's like, so her whole thing in this film is I want to tap into the anger of Americans and the American citizens. And this man right here is saying what all of us think. 
because there's another scene where he's he's allowed to go back on to have like a better uh like end to his career and instead he goes up and says exactly what he thinks about him getting fired Mm. and and max who's pissed off by everything going on and is like feels like everything's unjust here says screw it he stays on the air and so so basically like the uh woman it essentially capitalizes on this and creates this this news program channeling anger and they call him the mad prophet of the airwaves this film is full of fantastic quotes like one of the greatest quotes of all time and i haven't been able to get it out of my head the last like few weeks since i've seen this is at some point in the film he just shows up like after wandering the streets and he gets up on on his program live on the air hair's a mess like everything and he he's like screaming at like the camera the american audience and he gets up to the camera and he's like right there face to face and he's like, and he's saying like about how America, like all these problems with inflation and oil and gas and all this stuff. And he's like, we got to fix, he's like, we're going to fix that. But he's like, before that, I want you to first get up out of your chairs, open the window, stick your head out and yell and say, I'm mad as hell. And I'm not going to take this anymore. And he just keeps saying mm. that. And so it cuts to Max's house and his family there watching and his daughter gets up and he's like what are you doing and she's like i'm going to the window to see if anybody is yelling this like see what's happening and this is in new york and this is one of my favorite scenes the entire film is she's she's got her head out the window and people are just opening up their windows and screaming i'm mad as hell and i'm not gonna take this anymore and the entire streets of new york just fill with people screaming like that (laughs) wow it's this is one of the most quotable one of the most epic films i've ever seen the ending is poetic it's beautiful it's it's psychotic and amazing and like again i said to jess i don't know how this is gonna end and as soon as i got an inkling i literally sat back laughing i was like i should have known i should have known this is where this film was going it was so perfect the actors in this film faye dunaway is also in chicago chinatown oh chinatown yes i said the wrong who also stars in the original bonnie and clyde yeah that's right look at those connections so she is the one who capitalizes on beale's ratings and and pushes them to to take this on robert duvall also prominent in this an actor who played a main character in the godfather and apocalypse now as well as thank you for smoking and he appeared in the road, which I just watched last week again. And I was like, wait, I know that old man. He's the old man who they find on the road. Eli. What? Yeah, maybe. No, no yeah. They meet a guy named Eli. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I was thinking the book of Eli. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that threw no. me off too. Eli has one of my favorite quotes from mm. when I was like a young, edgy 14-year-old. Cool. And that was like on my Facebook profile as like one of my favorite quotes. And this film is is satirical in a very similar way as Thank You for Smoking. And I loved that film as well. I don't know if either of you have ever watched it. Very good. Highly recommend. I've heard of it. The last actor that I actually want to mention is Ned Beatty, um, oh. who actually voices Lotso, the evil bear in Toy Story 3. He has, oh, yeah. he has the single greatest monologue in film that I have ever seen explaining how capitalism works in a modern america and it is it's not only is it 
fantastic what he says it's the way it's shot it's across the boardroom and uh it's the 70s so there's all these like uh, little lamps across the boardroom and so he stands at the end of it like a mad god screaming his prophecy of of capitalism in america and it's just it's so beautifully oh, shot i've seen a clip yeah okay yeah it it for that scene alone you need to see this movie it's it's mind-blowingly good it's uh one it won four oscars at the time for best actor best actress best supporting actress the supporting actress won and only had eight minutes of screen time the shortest screen time ever for best uh supporting actress and won best original screenplay it's considered one of the greatest screenplays of all time it's it's so good it's it's so timely of the 70s but again like i said i've, I've come to the conclusion that we're just repeating like the same like yeah steps. yeah yeah and and so i actually want to note roger ebert reviewed this said it was a fantastic film at the time in the year 2000 he re-watched the film and added it to his list of great movies uh mm. his favorite films and, and what he said was like this film was like a prophecy when Shavesky created Howard Beale, how could he have imagined Jerry Springer, Howard Stern, and the World Wrestling Federation? And and basically, he just said like he just this was perfect. Like all of the all of the stops were just pulled and executed so well. This like I said, this is one of my front runner films like of all time. The first episode of Better Call Saul, Saul uses part of the quote from that epic moment. Oh Damn. shit! When he yeah. storms the boardroom to confront yes. Howard Hamlin. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So what is he? Does. What is he? What's the quote again? I'm not gonna use the quote right now because you have to see it. Okay. To yeah, fully yeah, get the to... vibe of it. it is honestly, if you guys, if you are watching any of the films that I picked right now, please go and see this movie. It is. It's so incredible. It's so good. Ugh. I think oh, he may have right. sold me on it. That sounds really yeah, good. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty sold as well. Maybe Let's cut you off though. That's like 15 minutes. Uh, no, I don't know. I don't no, know. No, no, we're good. We're good. Yeah, no, right. that was. Yeah, you're good though. I I literally can't speak highly. Yeah, yeah. So go that ahead. Sounds really good. Film. Oh man, that's a tough act to follow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. okay, so my last movie is actually the one I'm the most excited to tell you guys about. So it's from 1998, and it's actually from Canada. Oh. Yeah. So it's 1998. Sure. Canada. Is it? cube or the no. cube no okay. i've never heard of that all right you haven't a, seen the cube i haven't seen it either it's uh i, I was kind of thinking about it for a horror movie in October. i did i've i watched that when i was way too young to be watching nice. it i feel like you watched a lot of movies when you were yeah, way too young yeah, to see I, did. I was introduced early actually yeah. i think we all did now that i think <laughs> yeah. about yeah, it yeah yeah I remember being at your sleeping over at your place when I was like eight years old and watching Indiana Jones and the yep. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, and I had to be sent home when all their <laughs> all their faces melted. But anyways, that's so, pretty traumatic. But <laughs> yeah. So anyways, this movie's called Last Night, and here's the premise. I've never heard of it. Here's the premise. It's six p.m. and the world is going to end at midnight. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Like, and do we know how it's going to end? Or is it just, like, indiscriminate, the world's going to end? So, here's the thing. The movie never really gives you a clear answer how the world's going to end. But the premise is all Wait. of humanity has known for the last two months that the world is going to end at this date at this time. Cool. So this 1998? 1998. Okay. So, so it precedes uh, uh, Y2K, then. Yeah. So, fun fact. There was some French international film company or film conglomerate and they put out a challenge to 10 different countries to produce 
10 different films about the turn of the millennium. If you study history, you learn that whenever we're approaching the end of a century, there's always tons of anxiety about what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And Y2K was part of that. So That's so irrationally human. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this number is climbing a digit higher. I don't like it. <laughs> so, yeah, anyways. So Don McKellar is a famous Canadian screenwriter, director, and actor. Actually, fun fact. Do you guys remember Odd Job Jack from the Comedy Network? Uh, yes, that name does sound familiar. So he was the starring character in Odd Job Jack, Don McKellar. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he wrote this film called Last Night, and honestly, it's, I watched it 10 years ago in film school, and honestly, it might be one of my favorite movies. Like, Wow, I have it, seen him in Blindness. Yes, I think he wrote and starred in it. I don't know that he directed it, but... It's so, interesting to see Sandra Oh in this as well that's right i did notice that too yeah that's right so the whole deal is don mckellar the actor and director and writer he plays a guy named patrick wheeler who basically something's up with this guy he the world is ending and he doesn't really seem to give a shit (laughs) you kind of get the sense that the world is kind of already ended for him and you find out why later on in the movie Hmm. so anyways He ends up going over to his parents' house to celebrate what's essentially Christmas. He goes there with his sister and his sister's boyfriends, and his parents have rewrapped all these Christmas gifts they've given them over the years. Mm -hmm. Kind of like, you know, some kind of in-memoriam thing. Mm. And he, much to the contention of his family, he's told them that he wants to spend the end of the world alone. So after dinner, he's going to go back to his apartment, and the world's going to end all around him. So, but anyways, as he goes back to his apartment, he finds Sandra O oh sitting on his doorstep. Mm-hmm. Her character is also named Sandra, funnily enough. Yeah. So <laughs> what happened is, what's really interesting about this movie is that this is more, it takes place in Toronto, mm-hmm. and this is more like Mardi Gras than Mad Max. Like, cool. there's rioting in the streets, and the streets are dangerous, but it's not like leather-clad assholes riding around. Right. Like, in the start of the movie, Sandra Oh pops into a looted grocery store to pick up some final things for her final meal with her husband. Mm -hmm. And while she's in there, some hooligans come and flip her car over. Wow. So, again, it's more like... It's almost like New Year's Eve as opposed to the end of the world. Like, there's kind of a... Patrick throws... Makes some kind of throwaway reference to, you know, all the rioting and looting that went on when world first dropped Mm -hmm. but again it's more a big party is going on as opposed to everyone's being shot dead in the streets Mm -hmm. anyways he finds sandra oh sitting on his doorstep she needs to get across town to be with her husband for the end of the world and he's kind of forced to help her this movie is a dark comedy there's also kind of this haunting sadness about this movie Mm. like there's this very kind of poignant scene that I think about a lot where Sandra O's car has just been flipped over. So she finds a bus and she gets on it and there's a woman and her daughter and the daughter's like 12 and she's like, I want to get my ears pierced. Like this sucks. And the mm-hmm. older, her mom is just like, just calm down, honey. Just be quiet. And Sandra O gets up. And she's like, how long have you guys been waiting? And the woman says, for what? And Sandra says, the driver. And the woman says, what driver? <laughs> so see, they're just sitting on this bus waiting. So. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah I cool. see. But what's interesting about this movie is how all these different characters are reacting to the end of the world. And one of the themes seems to be, 
how people are kind of failing to adapt to these new situations. Mm-hmm. So this movie stars also actually stars David Cronenberg. Wow. As what? an actor. Yeah. Cool. He plays a guy named Duncan who works for the gas company. And when we first meet him, he's going down a list of names, calling customers, thanking them for their um, business over the years and promising them that the gas will stay on to the end of the world. Mm. And again, there's the lady on the bus and it's how people are kind of in some ways failing to adapt to what's going on. But as opposed to that, there's also some characters who are just kind of living out their wildest dreams. So there's one Mm. character I have to talk about. His name's Craig and he's Mm. played by, he's actually played by a character, a guy who appeared on Battlestar Galactica Oh, I loved that show. That was connected to another movie tonight, and I forget which one. So, (laughs) his name is Callum Keith Rennie. He played, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Leo Ben Conoy on Battlestar Galactica. Does that ring a bell? Oh, Leo, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, he plays a guy named Craig. He's uh, Patrick's best friend. And basically, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but I'm just going to go into it. When he found out the world was ending, he went into his kitchen, and he covered the walls with all the different types of sex acts he'd always wanted to try. When we first meet him, he's like bringing a black woman over to his apartment. And he's like, do you want drinks? I have drinks. And she's like, no, that's okay. And he's like, listen, I just want you to know, like, I didn't just invite you over because you're black. I think you're very cool and very beautiful. And she just went, you're very sweet, but that's okay. I just need to have an orgasm today. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's another scene where he invites his old high school French teacher over to Bone. So... This guy's just living his best life. Anyways, the real heart of the movie is the relationship between Patrick and Sandra O and how Patrick is very closed off. He's kind of an abrasive asshole and he's very closed off and he doesn't really seem to care that the world's ending. But like we find out as the movie goes on that something kind of happened to him that made him this way. Right. And can he kind of open up right at the end of the world? You know what film this is actually reminding me of is Seeking a Friend at the End of the World. I don't know if either of you have Steve Carell. I've heard of it with Keira Knightley, right? Yeah. It, yeah. I don't know if I've it seen sounds it. like a similar tone. It's kind of a comedy, but it's also very poignant. The End of the World. Yeah. And yeah. Just exploring that idea. Like, I love the hook. I love the idea of it. It's been used a few times. It's yeah. interesting because, like, okay, like, obviously, we don't know that the world's going to end at 12 p.m., but it's poignant because we obviously all know intellectually that we're going to die. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it's like well i watched this movie with my roommate Pettin, and he said i think this movie is all about like how you shouldn't attach yourself to anything because nothing's permanent and i said actually i think this movie is just all about how you should as cheesy as it might sound you should just live your life the way you want to live it yeah. like and in some ways like craig this guy who's on his sex bender he kind of has this throwaway line where he's like he kind of implies like this so much stuff I wanted to do, but I was always too scared to do. And now I'm just going for it. Yeah. yeah, You know what I mean? And again, this movie's really funny, but there is some like hauntingly poignant moments. Anyway, really good movie out of the three movies I picked. It's definitely my favorite. Awesome. It's a very tight hour and a half. Mm, Nice. I love it. Doesn't overstay. It's welcome. Mm -hmm. Good one. All right. I think that's it then. I think we wrap her up there. So I'm going to just, mention all the movies again so jason you picked genre so you did crime dial m for murder chinatown and natural born killers i had director i picked the great sydney lumet whose name should be on your list now if it wasn't before 
fantastic movies. He had Dog Day Afternoon, The Hill, and Network. Mike, you ended rounded this off with Wildcard. You chose apocalypse movies that are fo- that are foreign films that also are different in tone. Mm-hmm. Um, you picked Melancholia, Twenty Eight Days Later, and Last Night. That's right. So I guess we should say where each one is streaming really quick. So Dog Day Afternoon is streaming on Crave Stars or Stars through Amazon Prime. And then The Hill and Network actually aren't streaming anywhere. They can be rented anywhere, though. Honestly, I'm probably going to buy Network at some point because I loved it so much. So it's one of my favorite movies of this year. Melancholia, I just rented on YouTube, but it looks like it's streaming on AMC+. Last night, it looks like it's on Prime... Oh, awesome. I don't know if I should say this, but I found a bootleg copy on YouTube for free. So <laughs> hopefully that hasn't been taken down yet. Uh, it is on Prime and CBC Gem. Oh, yeah. I oh, Good for you, CBC. You're getting into the streaming wars. Um, <laughs> 28 Days Later, surprisingly enough, is streaming on Disney+. Plus. Cool. I'm oh, always awesome. surprised I when I see adult content on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know. It's just... There's something I was watching recently, Disney+, Plus, and I was like, why is this on here? <laughs> Solar Opposites is on Disney+. Plus. Yep. Yeah. That shouldn't be there. <laughs> uh, so Natural Born Killers is not streaming anywhere. You can rent it on Apple uh, TV, Google Play, Cineplex, Microsoft, YouTube. Chinatown is streaming on Hoopla, and Paramount Plus, mm. as ah. well as like the Prime Video version of Paramount Plus, and then Dial M for Murder, streaming on Tubi, which we've talked about before. It has ads. Uh, it's like a free movies and TV like yeah. platform, and then you could also rent it on all the standard platforms. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, let's close her off. So. Who do you think won? Who won the movie draft? Which movies are you most excited about out of the th- each other's? So I'm going to say, uh, you guys, while you guys are thinking, Last Night hooks me. I'm really interested in that film. I think it's really cool. I'd never heard of it before. Chinatown is like top 10 in my list right now. Yeah, yeah. I almost have watched it like three times. That's a tough one between you two, I think. Man, you got to watch Natural Born Killers too. Yeah. yeah. It might not quite be for me, but I'm going to check it out. Man, it is... I- Fucked. I don't know if I can pick a winner, but I will say Natural Born Killers and Network. I'm very interested. Yeah, like uh, those are ones I will probably go out of my way to watch. I'm gonna rewatch Melancholia probably. Okay, <laughs> just because I I want to see all three, like the trilogy, the Depression yeah, trilogy. Yeah, yeah. At least I have to watch the uh, the first one, whatever it was. Uh, Antichrist. Antichrist. Yeah. I've read about it, and it sounds more horrifying than all of them. Yeah, so. yeah. Man, uh, so just on that point, uh, Nymphomaniac extremely fucked well done <laughs> well done i think that describes all of his movies yeah 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 exactly so like that's where i love where you went because i really want to watch 28 days later i think i watched like a little bit of it when i was 14 or 16 mm. or something like that but i don't remember it well enough and i didn't know killian murphy like the way that I do now, because he's one of my like top actors. Oh yeah. So yeah. I definitely want to rewatch or watch that, and then um, network sounds amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. Incredible. You did a good job selling and, that. Yeah, yeah, and you picked such a great director, like that, mm-hmm. like to pick the actor's director. Yeah, it was fucking smart. And none of us had heard him before. I, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. I, I, 
and oh, man, I can't I can't understate enough. These I think, movies are incredible. I think that's the right angle to choose from because yeah, it's an underappreciated gem. Mm-hmm. This guy, absolutely, and it just it's a little bit timing on some of these movies. Like some of his great, she's got overshadowed by other films. Yeah, but they hold up. Let me tell you. I think we did great. I think we did a great job. I think I we hope all did the good. Audience uh, lets us know which mm-hmm. movies they watched, uh, what they've seen before, and uh, let us know how we did. Honestly, I think it was nine great movies that were yeah. talked about, except Melancholia. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's good. I just. Oh fuck! <laughs> and now for our sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> it's Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys, we've, good news. We've been bought by Disney. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we've been acquired. All right. I think we got to wrap it up there. You guys yeah. are giving me a lot of <laughs> footage to uh, edit. So. Yeah, get to work, bitch. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let fuck us know. You, Who won the draft? Bro. What movies are you most excited to watch? Or have you watched any and of these films? If, you, if there's a movie that you really like and want us to do a full episode on, maybe sound off in the comments. Absolutely. Yeah. It's going to be network. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably going to be network. <laughs> no, seriously. We're doing that at some point. It was the greatest movie yeah, yeah, ever watched. There's... I'm, I mean, I'm we're in your so house, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a good one, everyone. All right. Bye bye.